are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Hey, go ahead and have a seat, and uh, let me explain. I, and I was not supposed to be preaching this morning, um, but I'm here. My name is Tim. Clint was going to be preaching, uh, but last night as the game went on, Clint got sicker and sicker, and uh, is, is not... Not able to, no, but really he, please, please be praying for him. He's not, he's not feeling well. Um, Emmy, his, his wife was texting just saying, uh, this, he, she hasn't seen him this like down and out in a long time. So just pray for uh, a quick recovery for Clint. Um, but I, I love this, right? I love all the decorations. I love the, I love the Christmas spirit. And I, I just as a kid, I remember feeling like as you just moved about the world, things, it felt a little different as a child. I remember thinking that people were a little nicer, maybe drove a little less crazy, uh, were like letting you go ahead in line, that kind of a thing. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe it was just my like rosy glasses as a, as a child. But there's something about, I think there's something about the Christmas spirit. What is at the heart of the Christmas spirit? What's at the heart of the Christmas spirit? If you, if you were to ask a, a few people uh, and some, maybe some cultural icons, they would say different things. If you were to ask this guy, what is at the heart of the Christmas spirit? This is George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. I think, I think George, I mean, you remember George Bailey, right? You remember, you remember the story, this classic story. If you haven't seen this movie, it's time. Go, get, go see the movie. It's wonderful. In fact, I think it's playing at one of the SCAD theaters in town. You can go see it on the big screen and, and relive some of the silver screen days. But, you know, in, in, in my mind, when I think of this movie, I think of George Bailey, this traumatic experience that he goes through. I don't want to spoil it for any of you who haven't seen it. But at the end of the movie, he's, he's running around and he grabs, he's, at one point in the movie, he's running up his stairs and he grabs the banister. He's coming around the corner, grabs the banister and the head of the banister, remember that ball of the banister comes loose? And he's like shakes it, and he's so angry, he like slams it back down onto the pedestal and keeps on running. He's just fed up with life. Things are all, everything's falling apart. And he's just so, he's so discontented, right? And at the end of the, he goes through this experience at the end of the movie, he's just overwhelmed to be alive. His heart has changed, his, he's heading in a new direction, and he's running through the city saying, Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls, Merry Christmas. And he like, you know, picks up his... In his, in his jacket, he's like, oh, Zuzu's pedals, Zuzu's pedals. Do you remember this, right? And he gets that ball, he's ripping around the corner, he grabs the ball, and it comes off, and he's like, oh, he kisses it, puts it back down. If you ask George Bailey, hey, what's the, like, what is at the heart, what's the spirit of Christmas? He would probably tell you the spirit of Christmas is contentment, right? The spirit of Christmas is, is being thankful for what you already have, just being grateful and not constantly wanting more and more. Uh, or, how about this, if you ask this guy? <laughs> the Grinch. You're a mean one. <laughs> Mr. Grinch. Uh, Dr. Seuss, this is well-known, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Like that, I'm thinking of that classic cartoon, not some of the other, I mean, the, the other iterations are great. But if you asked the Grinch, right, I think of, I think of that classic line at the end, this quotable line where he says, the narrator says, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? And this was after he had 
kind of, he thought he had stolen, he had ripped, had ripped away all the joy from this tiny little town of Whoville. And here, even after ripping it away, they all start singing anyway. And making this point that it's not, it's not about, the, you know, kind, of, kind of to George Bailey's point, it's not about the stuff, right? But he would say it's all about, I think the Grinch would say it's about love, it's about joy, it's about, maybe even it's about relationships. And the Grinch gets this new perspective. George Bailey gets this new perspective. Heart change, perspective change. Um, what about if you ask this guy? <laughs> Buddy, Buddy the Elf, right? He would say, I mean, I think, man, there's so many quotable moments. I can't, I can't, I gotta, I gotta just keep on task, keep on task. So many quotable lines from this movie. Uh, I think of the, we elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and what? Syrup, yeah. But on, on, seriously, on a serious note, he would say, I think he would say, if you ask, what is the Christmas spirit? What's at the center of the Christmas? He would say, it's all about cheer, right? Can you, can you, can you quote this line with me? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. Yeah, that's Buddy the Elf. It's all about just dig deep, just choose joy, just cheer, be happy, right? At the end of the day, all of these kind of cute sentiments leave us feeling empty, hungry for more because by January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, right? Things like life moves on. You get back to work, you get back to school, you get back at it, and things kind of go back into their normal everyday life. Not every day is Christmas Day. People disappoint us. Those gifts that we have break, right? Like they, like whatever. We hurt others. We're hurt by others. Life is hard, and we're faced with that reality. It moves on. It's, it's, it's great that we can celebrate I think our culture has noticed there is something special. And we've taken stabs at it. But at the end of the day, we're left feeling hungry. If those sentiments are all that we leave with. So like Gardner said before, Advent is the celebration of the coming. It's not, if you notice, it's not necessarily, it's not the celebration of Jesus' birth. We don't celebrate his birthday. We don't say happy birthday, Jesus. As Christians, it's not, like, that's not the point. It's about his coming, which, which is a nuance that's a really significant nuance. But it also asks, it kind of, I think appropriately, invites us to ask, why did he come? Why did he come? Why, why, in all of God's wisdom and power, why did it have to happen this way? Why did he have to send one of the members of the triune Godhead, one of the persons of the Trinity, to earth to take on flesh and to, to walk this path, to suffer? to teach, to love, to heal, but to suffer and to die. Why did he have to come? Why like that? I'm going to read a, we're going to read a passage of scripture. 
in just a moment. We're going to read it together. We're going to read it out loud. In fact, if you will, I haven't asked you to do this yet. Can you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. When I was young, when we would spend the, we would spend the holidays, my family and I would uh, spend the holiday. I grew up in Jersey, and um, we spent the holidays at my granny and gramps house. And Gramp would always have one of the games playing at the, in, the, in the second half of the day. And it'd just be kind of there, like, like lulling in the background. But I remember, even as a kid, even before I came to Christ, there was, there was somebody in the crowd would be standing behind the goalpost with a big sign that had a Bible reference on it. Do you know what that Bible reference was? Tell me, tell me, real loud. John 3.16. And it has become... John 3.16 has become one of the most popular, one of the most beloved passages of Scripture in all time. And for good reason. For good reason. Right? It's, it is, and I looked this up, I learned that it's the most searched for verse on the internet. It's a, it's a verse that probably every Christian, I would hope, has heard, most Christians have memorized. And it makes sense why this is so well-known and so well-loved, because in this verse are some of the most massive and weighty concepts that the human mind could ever endeavor to entertain. So I want to read together, out loud, John chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. All those three verses together. And we're going to focus in on John 16 together. Will you read this with me? as we read it aloud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There it is. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, let me just say this right up front. Familiarity can work against us in, in, a, in a time like this, on a morning like this. Um, it's, it's altogether possible that somebody might be thinking, okay, seriously, we're going to, like this, we're going to, you're going to preach on John 3.16, we know this. I've been, a, like I've, been a, I've been coming to church all my life, right? I've heard this so many times. What could you possibly say about this passage that has not already been there or that we haven't already said, right? What could you possibly teach me? I, when I was in Best, Best Buy uh, a couple of years ago with a couple of my kids, I was returning something at Best Buy. And I was at the customer service counter. I was in line, which is right next to the door. And... There, there was this alarm that was going off. We, we walked in, and it was like, the, the alarm had been going, ever since the moment we walked in, there was this alarm that was going, it was, it was like super annoying, right? And I'll just keep doing that and annoy you too, because then you'll get what I'm about to get at. And there's this, anno- this alarm that was going off as we were standing in the customer service line. It was so irritating. And I stepped, I finally, it was my turn, to, the guy waved me on, so I came up, and I put my stuff down, and I said, hey, we got a quick return, but, but seriously, what is that sound? Like, what is that noise? 
You know what he said? He says, what noise? And I'm like, what's, like, and I started just matching it so that he could hear it. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the anti-theft device alarm or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So, like, somebody, somebody, before I got there, had walked out with, like, a, I don't know, a pair of earbuds or maybe, what, a dryer? Like, just walked out the <laughs> store and they're just like, well, whatever. Like, and I, and I, I asked him, I'm like, well, do you, like, just turn it off. Like, how hard is it? And he's like, oh, yeah, the button's right there. It was like, like five feet away from him. But he says this. He says, yeah, man, I hear that thing so often I don't even notice it anymore. Right? And that's, so can we just say, this is the danger for us this morning. We're, we're, we're studying a passage of scripture that is appropriately familiar and possibly familiar, like, in that, it might be that you have this on a certain shelf in your head that you need to pull it off of for a moment, please. Because the concepts in this verse, think about the concepts that are captured in this verse. God, love, the world, right? That, the, even the, the idea of gave, you could spend, you could spend a month just there, just that he gave, his son, his son. Like, so the Trinity is also represented here, right? God, the Father, gave his son. The triune God is at work in these. Faith, like what does faith, what does belief look like? What is, what is perishing? Perishing. Or the opposite of perishing, eternal life. What's going on? Like, these are massive concepts. So my request to you would be, for these Next minutes, be careful to read this beautiful passage with fresh eyes. And, and, even, and, like, and if, you're, if you find your mind wandering, because I know it's, it's a busy season, it's the holiday season, you've got, we've got stuff going on, right? And I, you've got emails, some of you might even have emails on your phone right now that you might be rifling through. For a moment, just if this, I would say there's nothing more important than the concepts that are captured in this passage. Be here. Be here. And, and if you have lesser things in your mind right now, let God and ask God to replace them with this. So John 3.16, I'm going to read it one more time, nice and slow. And listen as with fresh ears. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We're going to focus on that. There are three words, as I was reflecting on this passage last night, when I, when I got the call from, from Clint, three words in this passage that I think are completely shocking if you really press into them and kind of peel them back. Three words that we're going to focus on this morning. I, I mean, goodness, at least, right? I mean, because you, you could just go word by word. It's so pithy. But three words that we're going to focus on this morning that are shocking. Number one, world. This idea, this concept of the world. God so loved the world. What, what kind of love must this be? 
What, do, what does it tell us about his love, that he loved the world, that he loved this world? What does he mean when he talks about the world? Like, what's going on? And this is Jesus himself talking, right? Like, so what's going on in Jesus' mind as he thinks about this world that God so loved that he would give himself? So here's what's interesting. Every time, and you could do, you could do a really simple word search if you just search world, you know, go, go to any uh, of the, like, internet, Bible apps, search world, and look at the usages of world in the book of John alone. So because we, when we want to understand a concept, sometimes the best way to do that is to say, okay, how does this author use this particular word? Here's what's fascinating. Every single time that John uses the word world, every time, without fail, it's negative. It is never once put in a positive light, which is, I, I think it's, it's pretty fast. And then when you, when you look at the verses themselves in their own context, you, you, you see, see it. You see it. In John, John chapter 1, verse 10, 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Right? So, so consider this. The creator, our creator, your creator, our creator, decides to enter into creation. He comes, he puts on skin, he's walking in our dirt, clothed in our skin, speaking our language. He's standing right next to us and we don't even recognize him. Right? Just like as if he was like a stranger on the train, any old person that we, we have no idea who he was. And it kind of reminds me, I was talking to a college kid a couple of years ago and just trying to get to know him, hear his heart. He was in a really difficult place in life at the moment and um, I was asking him about it, asking about his, his family, where he was coming from and stuff like that. And I asked him, I said, well, tell me about your dad. And he's like, oh. He says, I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't, I don't know what he's like, and to be honest, I don't care. And it, like, it, it broke my heart for him, right? But, like, if a dad loved his child, well, I mean, he, at the end of our conversation, I remember him saying, he said, it, because we were in a room full of people, he points across the room, he said, it could be that guy right there. And I don't care. After what I've been told about him, I have no reason to pursue him. The, the world has been told a lot about God or what to believe about God. It, it's no surprise then that he could come in the flesh representing in all his glory and character the triune God himself. And yet the world, the created world, his created world, would, would not even know him from any other being. That doesn't surprise us. But it breaks our hearts, right? And that's us. Like, this is us. John 14, 17. Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Or John 7, verse 7, says, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So, so 
if nothing else, at least in the, the most common understanding, the most common meaning for the word world in the book of John is not, like when he says, for, so God, for God so loved the world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the rocks and the trees and these beautiful rivers and the, these, all these creatures that he's created and the, the fish of the sea. That's not what he's, he's not, he, that's not the world that God so loved. In John's mind, he's talking about the totality of human creation who has shaken its fist at God and said, forget you, I don't want you, I'm fine without you, thank you very much, right? And so, and, and even when you think about this language with Jesus, I just read this verse uh, from John chapter 7 where it says, and it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You think, man, what, like, what do you mean hate Jesus? That's pretty strong language. I mean, nobody walked around saying, Jesus, I hate you. Nobody said that to him, right? So what does he mean here? He's using a literary device to capture our attention and to help us understand the posture of heart that the world has toward him. Think about like when a child, if a child were to say to its parent, to, to their parents, I hate you, right? Which children, we don't say that to our parents, right? But that's strong language, right? And what's happening in that moment is the child is saying, get, get out of my space, leave me alone, let me do what I want. I've got like, back off. I wanna do life my way. That's, it's, it's the, the, the desire is to create distance, to push off, to push away, right? And to say, leave me alone. And, we've, and that's exactly what we've done. When we as a humanity, as a totality, have, have sinned and continue to sin, every single time we sin, we say, God, you are not my boss. I will do life my way. And, and this is the world. The world is the countless number of people who are indifferent to God, the world that is in rebellion against its creator, the, the great ocean of souls that are perishing and some of them don't even care. I, I hope this helps us understand this next word that I want to talk about, which is the word love, right? So, so world, massive concept. And in this context, negative, rebellious, shaking its fist at its creator, world. For God so loved that world, this world. He loved this world that was in rebellion against him so much and in such a way that he would send his only son. So it brings a lot more meaning to his love, now that we know what he means by world. It's easy, I mean, it's easy, right, to love people who love you back, right? It's, in fact, it's, it's even like, it's kind of thrilling when you have the opportunity, when somebody loves you and is gracious towards you and is kind towards you, they go out of the, when you have an opportunity to be a blessing back to them, to love them back, it's easy. It, it can actually be a joy. You're like, you're motivated to like, hey, finally I get to do something for this person who's loved me so well, right? That's easy. But, but what if you don't? Like, or what if they aren't? What if they don't love you well? What if they're awful to you? What if, it, like, think of that one person at work that you just don't love. They drive you nuts. Or that family member that you're like, please don't let me get seated next to so-and-so. Again, please. Right? Like you, when you think of those people and think about loving those people, think about loving people who have majorly hurt you. I was just talking to somebody an hour ago who, who lost tens of thousands of dollars in a business deal. And, this, and the other guy that he was working with, they were friends. And the guy's like, this is more important. See ya. 
obliterated their relationship, has cut off all communication. And, and he's like, this is my, my call as a Christian is I need to figure out how to love this man who has hurt me and stolen from my family. I need God's grace to love him. How, do you, how, do we, how does God get to a place where he looks at this totality of human rebellion and love them in such a way to do such extreme, to take such extreme measures? What kind of love is this? A few great things come, become obvious from this passage even, right? One, it's, clear, it's an undeserved love. It is clearly an undeserved love. And we can see that here. In fact, if you go to the next verse, if you've got your Bibles open, just go to the next verse. It says, um, in verse 19, it says that the world didn't want him. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Like we, would, we would rather, there are certain sins, behaviors, patterns, attitudes that we'd rather just not give up. We just like them, if we're being honest. The world, despite the Christmas movies, the world is not a cute, adorable ball of goodness that God wants to just bring back into his own family and adopt back into his own family. And if you read yesterday's headlines, that's, that's all you need to prove that. The things that we are capable of doing to one another. We didn't earn God's favor. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loves the entirety of us fallen sinful human beings and, and we don't deserve it. Number two, so it's, it's undeserved. Number two, it's sacrificial. It's clearly sacrificial. Think of the word gave, right? He didn't just give his son to come and to heal people in this world, he didn't just give him to come and to teach people either, like some wise counselor, some guru of, of human living and what the ideal life could look like if you just pay attention to his proverbial wisdom. He gave his son to die in your place. He willingly gave him, right? And, th and this is clear in the verses just before John 3.16. Jesus was talking, he's talking to this teacher, and he says, as Moses was lifted, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about being lifted up for the people to see and to look upon, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is, it's more clear in a couple of chapters in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. The, the father who, who gave him, the father who sent him. Jesus said multiple times, I have been, this, for this reason, I have been sent he was a man on a mission. He was given by God. Could you imagine saying to your son, hey, there's, there's something I want you to do for me. There's a, there's a bunch of people who I take care of all the time. And yet some of them loathe me. Some of them ignore me. 
many of them just don't even want to think about me. And they're living as a whole. They're living in rebellion against me. And I want you to go. Will you go? They have drawn such a debt. It needs to be paid. They can't pay it themselves. The only way to put an end to this is if you pay it in their place. Will you go? Could you, could you imagine sending your son to die for people who hate you? But this is the love, right? This is the, this is the nature of the love of God for the world. Whatever else you know about God, whatever, whatever questions, whatever problems, whatever, whatever else you know about God, know this. Know that this is the kind of character that our God exhibits. This is the kind of love that he has for you, that he has for the world, that he has for your neighbors who are asking the same kinds of questions, maybe. So world, love, here's the last concept. It's this, this word, whoever. The word, whoever. Now, whoever, whoever is a fascinating word because, and in this particular context, in this particular verse, it has two extremes, two extreme sides to it, if you will, right? Whoever, on one hand, whoever could mean, like, whoever, right? Indiscriminately, whoever. Anybody at all. Anybody. Whoever believes in him. Whoever. At the same time, on the other hand, whoever could mean whoever believes, right? And, and I think the, the wisdom of our Savior, like he, he words this beautifully to capture both sides of that, right? If you think about the one side, his love is completely indiscriminate. Anyone from anywhere, no matter what you've done, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And some of you might say, of course, you might say, no way. Like, if you're here for the first time this morning, you're just exploring Christianity, you might think, there's no way. After what I've done, if you were to see my search history, if you were to ask my buddy, if you were to ask my, my, my husband what my past was like, there's no way that God would invite me in or want anything to do with me. And Jesus, and Jesus would say, no, that's exactly, like if you're willing, if you're willing to take that and to bring that to him and to acknowledge it and to confess it and say, this is me, this is what I've done, this is who I've been. If you're, if you're willing to humble yourself and, and call it out, name it, then he's saying, he says, you're in, like that's it, like that's the beginning of it, whoever, whoever would, would start there, whoever. It's not the healthy, Jesus would say, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who know they're not. Right? So, whoever. And friends, if this is you, let me say, the, let me remind you, if you haven't, if you haven't taken this step of taking that garbage and dragging it out into the light before the Lord and just naming it and confessing it. Just consider the claims of this good news, the gospel. The good news is that if we repent, like the, good, the, the claims are simple. If we repent and turn from our sin and confess it to him, then when we return to God with a humility like this calls for, he will say, I forgive it all. You were a guilty and selfish sinner in front of me, 
and the bill that you owed me was so great, you could never repay it. But my son, my only son, whom I gave for this very purpose, to die for you, if you trust him, if you believe in him, and if you follow him in faith, then I will forgive it all. Not because you loved me, not because you have any potential in my mind, not because you tried hard, not because you inherited anything, but simply because I chose you and I'm providing this for you. And you need to, you need to receive this gift. Here's, here's the other interesting thing about this idea of whoever, is that it, he says, whoever believes, right? So that narrows this down a lot. On one hand, it is available, and it really is available to anybody, but it's only available to those who believe. Only, exclusively. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved outside of the name of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes, that's the narrow side. And when I think about, when you think about believe, you think, okay, well, where, so where's he going with this? In, in the book of John, it says, just for context, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He's defining believing there by saying receiving him. Whoever received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what, is it, what does it look like to receive Jesus? What would it look like for you to be in a place where you, this Advent season, can say, all right, I want to live as one who receives. I receive, and maybe even for some of you who have put your faith in Christ, and I've said, I, I have received Christ. What would it look like for you to continuously receive from him the grace that you need to go on every day? Interesting, in the book of John also, he uses some of this same similar language where he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He also says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. I will give him, and he will never be thirsty again. There's these hyperlinks all over the book of John that point back to something, a fascinating part of Israel's history where they were in the wilderness, where Jesus is actually in the wilderness in Israel, that same similar wilderness. He's, he's in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. He's talking about bread and water. They were needing bread and water, and God provided for it for them in the wilderness, and he's provided, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that provision that was happening in the wilderness. It's me. I am this, this spring of living water, so come and receive. How do you honor a spring? If you were to if you were to find a cool mountain spring that's gushing this pure, crystal clear water, and you're, you're hiking up this mountain and you finally you, you stumble upon this thing, how do, you, how do you come across this beautiful spring that's just overflowing with crystal clear, cool water? How do you honor that spring? Do you, do you, do you like marvel at it and say, hey, I'll be right back and go get your own buckets and, and like scoop up your buckets from your dirty little well that you dug by hand and come back up and say, here, O oh spring, here's my contribution and just dump it, splash it all in there? Is that how, that's not how you honor 
the, the, the living water, the spring of living water. That you're to be, how, do you, how do you honor it? You get under it, right? You dive into it. You drink from it and enjoy it and receive. And that's, that's what Jesus is saying. If, you, if this is true of you, this is, this is true for those who are willing to receive. This is a gift that God gave the world. And the only response is to receive. So this Advent season, one of the things I would love for you to reflect on, let me take it back to the beginning. God gave the world exactly what the world needed. It did not need a second chance like George Bailey. It did not need a new perspective or a bigger heart like the Grinch, right? It didn't need to just squeeze it in and, and get all cheery like Buddy the Elf. God, God loved the world that he gave his only son. That's exactly what we needed. Why? Because we, are, we aren't people who make mistakes who need a second chance. We aren't people who have it in us and just need to know what to do. We are sinners who need a savior. And that salvation has been provided in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for, for being the gift and giving the gift that we truly need. And I, I pray this Advent, every time we hear the word Advent, may our hearts... May our minds kind of be cued and maybe ask these questions of why. Like, let's remember why, why you came the first time. We know you're coming again. We can't wait for your second coming. But we need to be reminded every day as, as to why, why we need you today. We don't need you just once for salvation. We need you every day for sanctification. And I pray that our hearts would be reminded of that this season. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our gift. Amen.